Hey, buddy, we got to get you out of the dark ages. Welcome to the Exploring Washington State podcast. Here's your host, Scott Cowan. Okay, so false start number one that you guys don't get to listen to. Now we're going. It's it's a Monday, and uh, my guest today is Andrew Jocelyn. Andrew, thanks for having a good sense of humor and allowing me to not hit the record button. <laughs> All good, Scott. I, I want to recreate what we were talking about. So yeah. you started playing violin at five. Yes. And my question to you was, was that by choice? Or did, was it something your family wanted you to do? Well, um, so my my family comes from a very heavily entrenched classical tradition. My um, there was this just immense legacy that was kind of impressed upon me from an early age. So, like my step grandfather Warwick Evans started the London String Quartet. My grandmother. And my great aunt, they were both very proficient classical musicians. They premiered with like Rosinski in LA, played with the MGM Studio Orchestra, you know, were best friends with like Fritz Chrysler and some of these like amazing turn of the century musicians. And, you know, um, and then on the other side, like my my cousin Tozi was a proficient opera singer in Rome, in Donolfo, another cousin of mine sings opera in New York. And it's so from an, a very early age, there was this tradition that all of a sudden I felt like I needed to uphold. <laughs> okay. And my, my, my parents got me started on the violin when I was five and I, I didn't take to it, uh, terribly well because the violin is not a forgiving instrument by any means you know um it takes a year plus of consistent practice to be able to develop tone and be able to play a note that even sounds um reasonably approachable (laughs) and i think that you know that was something that it, it took me a little bit to kind of enjoy and find the a passion for it um i'd always loved music i was always listening to music it wasn't it wasn't something that i wasn't voraciously um consuming but the actual practice of it was at least with the violin was a, it something that i had to grow into and um work with um but you know um i studied I, I started at five and then did classical studies all through college um, and had, you know, little spurts of picking up like fiddle music, like Cajun bluegrass and uh, Irish Celtic, some Swedish fiddle music, kind of, you know, little bit blips and blops here and there that just kind of um, open up the education a little bit more. But um, I, uh, yeah, it, it's interesting. Um I was always the orchestra kid that like, you know, I'm a child of the eighties. So my, my bread and butter, you know, well, (laughs) we were talking about my brother, but my, my brother, (laughs) he, um, I was very much as a child listening to a lot of classical music and, you know, Tchaikovsky and Hindemith and, you know, Bordine and my brother's like, Hey buddy, we got to get you out of the dark ages. And he gives me a, (laughs) he gives me a, he gave me a, a, a tape cassette, which had Tears for Fears, U2, Sting, 
um, Roxy music. And oh, like he, there was a couple of others on that. And then that mixtape completely blew open my mind. And I, I think that was like the first kind of division that happened in me where I was like, you know, the, some of the, some of these like beautiful tracks, like I heard strings in them and I was like, wait a minute. Like there was a sting track, I think from his soul cages record that had strings. And I was just like, that's cool. That's beautiful. Why aren't I playing that? How do I get that gig? Wait a minute. So, you know, from an early age, I was, I became obsessed with figuring out how to be a string player and you know, pop and rock music. And it, you know, educationally, that's not clear at all. You know, I, I went and did my undergrad in violin performance at Western and my, my sophomore year, I freaked out because the programming and everything it's, they don't teach you about touring, publishing, music licensing, the record industry. They don't teach you any of that. It's, you know, it's counterpoint, species counterpoint. It's uh, ear training and composition, Western appreciation of music, you know, count, you know, all this stuff. And it's, and it's all really important for the toolkit and all that stuff I've relied on um, so many times uh, as a composer and what I do now. But I think at the time it was really hard to see uh, a career path. Like all that was kind of available to me was I will be a concert performing violinist, uh, orchestra junkie, or a music teacher. And none of the three of the above seemed at all appealing to me. Um, why is that? Why, why just let me inter- interact. Why yeah. those of those three? Why not? Why weren't those desirable to you? I, uh, my own, you know, learning the violin was such a difficult and, um, it was finally very rewarding and I fell in love with the instrument, but at first the, the early years of learning to play it and I, you know, and I, I, I taught for a little bit, but teaching lots of students how to play a violin and listening to the scrapes and squawks and swearing just didn't seem appealing. Um, playing in orchestras, um, playing in orchestras and being a concert violinist, the, the problem was I would be competing on a national and uh, an international level with people coming out of Oberlin Juilliard and, you know, the Vienna school and this and that, and like the turnover and the job choices and the, the competition would be so heavy and not in my favor. And I was always the kid in the back of the orchestra that I would be say, you know, like I, like, like I was a part of the Seattle youth symphony when I was younger and I, you know, I was principal second, um, but I was always like so fascinated with like I would hear the music and then we'd be playing. But then all of a sudden I'd just be like, man, I wish they did this. I wish the composer did this or I wish I could play this. I I, I started uh, already. I was already delineating from <laughs> the path of classical music because I, I started just, you know, I wanted to improvise. I, I wanted to play something I was hearing in the moment. And I think the it was too regimented to me for me, you know? Okay. Um, and I, so I think that's why, you know, I, I think one of my favorite quotes I've ever heard about um, music and composition is that improvising is composition sped up <laughs> and okay. composing is improvisation slowed down. Now that makes a lot of sense when you say it like that. Yeah. 
And I, you know, I, you know, my sophomore year of college, I freaked out because I didn't like any of these possible career paths. And the other side of it, too, is that none, none of those three really seemed to coordinate with rock music. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't see myself as a concert violinist playing with Brian Ferry, you know. <laughs> so I, you know, at, at that point, I was like, I, I want to figure out something else. And I, I met uh, this guy, this amazing guitarist named David John and was just taken with, you know, he was completely self-taught had didn't have a lick of instruction and just an amazing singer songwriter. And he wanted to put together a Van Morrison astral weeks cover band. And I was like, Oh, I, Hmm. I don't, I'm not really specific, (laughs) very specific. And I wasn't like, you know, very familiar with Van Morrison at that point. And, you know, we went over to his place. I started listening and I was just like, Oh, I can kind of, Oh, I can pick out the violin. Oh, Oh yeah. Yeah. I can play that. Um, and that we we started and then we just we immediately just started writing music together and it, like it was just like originals and that um but what the amazing thing though is for you know however many years i was used to focusing on sheet music and learning everything by the page and that was the first time that complete learning the improvise and learning the play by ear completely changed the the entire equation for me, you know. And there's plenty of times like I work with Seattle Symphony now and larger orchestras and studio musicians and so many classical musicians just can't <clears throat> untrain or unlink their brain from sheet music. They're most the most amazing jukeboxes, but you can't get them to uh express in the moment it's almost too scary or too <laughs> too um there's no guardrails <laughs> gotcha you know well, let me ask, i got two yeah. questions so far yeah. number one your brother is he older than you yes 12 years old. so so he he so he was a decade older than you listening to different things than you were listening to so he brought you yeah. that mixtape that's pretty cool yeah um Number two, we should, we should this, probably clue in the audience who he is. And I can tell a little, yeah, go, I'll let you, I'll let you do that. <laughs> so for if, if, if anyone wants to do the extensive research, you're welcome. Um, but my, <laughs> my half brother, um, yeah, my half brother is Chris Catan, um, of SNL fame and notoriety <laughs> and dancing right. with the stars. If you've been into him recently, um, but we, we, you know, same mom, different dads. Um, we both went to the same high school on Bainbridge Island okay. and he, uh, you know, 12 years older, he, you know, for a very long time, we, we were related, but we weren't terribly close because a 12 year difference when you're sure. <laughs> going, growing when you're, when up you're is, six and he's 18, he doesn't want to hang out with a six year old. And Oh God, no, yeah. no, 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 yeah. no, no. Right. So um, but I, I do still credit him with helping <laughs> realize you influence ship. Uh, <laughs> so the other question I have is this, this, like the guy who wants to do a uh, Van Morrison Astral Weeks <laughs> cover band. Yeah. The Van Morrison cover band idea. Cool. Van Morrison. Astral it it Weeks. didn't fly for very long, by the way. We, it's we very, did. very niche. Yeah. Very, very niche. <laughs> But you mentioned you guys started writing songs together. Was that the first time you started writing or had you been doing any any writing before that? I dabbled, but nothing ever kind of like gelled. It was just kind of like, oh, I'll sit down at the 
piano and just kind of mm-hmm. puts around. And I was really into Eric Satie when I was younger. So I always tried to write these little piano melodies and stuff. Almost kind of Jan okay. Pearson-y. But like it, it never, it just never like, you know, uh, it just never really went anywhere. Uh, but okay. once I started working with him and we formed a band, it, it became this kind of dropkick Murphy's Irish punk Rocky outfit. And we, we toured for 10 years. We, we really? actually, yeah, we, we, we formed a band, got a bass player, a drummer. Um, and we actually had, uh, for a Northwest college band, we actually had pretty sizable success. Um, okay. So I need a, you to help me with something. Yeah. How do you connect? I need you to connect for me, Dropkick Murphys to classical music in, in, in two steps or less. How do you, fiddle. how do you connect those fiddle? fiddle. Okay. The fiddle. That was too easy for you. Uh, well, and I but that's the thing is it's like my, I took on kind of the lead guitarist role in the band, got an electric right. violin, got all the guitar pedals and just that, that it, I mean, for lack of a better word, it's, I became the gimmick, but it was, we were such a great bar band um, with that kind of, you know, with the fiddle playing lead, you know, we would play a lot of like jigs and reels uh, and just punk them out. <laughs> okay. So, but we, we actually, the, the, the great thing is we actually had such success that we, we opened up for fish at the gorge uh, a number of years ago. So that like, it Very actually, cool. it went, it, 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 it had wow. a really good run. Well, so what was the name of the band? The group was called Handful Lovin'. Um, we okay. we we would go by like Handful or HOL. Like there was a bunch of different mm-hmm. monikers we sure. used, but like it it was uh yeah. I mean, as far as the festival scene mm-hmm. went, you know, we we toured up and down the West Coast pretty heavily. So wow. um wow. yeah. So I, I don't think I went to that fish show that you played at. That's a totally I think the fish okay. show. I, no, no, no. I went to the fish show at the gorge. God, mid nine. No, it was like ninety seven, two thousand. Let me just put it to you this way: it was a rough night. It was um, like two thousand nine, I think. Yeah, I didn't go to that one. Yeah, okay, that's okay. Very, very cool. Yeah. yeah. But, so you, yeah. so you do this. Yeah, and you start writing, which is cool. I'd like to, just because you said something, I really want to go back to it. So you, from a, from a, um, from playing the instrument, is the electric violin drastically different than a traditional violin? In, uh, in practice? No. Um, In tone production? Yes. Um, It's, you know, to get it to sound like any kind of like, electric violin you just pull off the shelf it's 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 like the difference between an electric guitar and acoustic guitar okay. you know it's it's it, there's slight differences in how you play it um but you you know if you just pull an electric guitar off the shelf and just played it unplugged it's there's no tone there's nothing right so right a lot of violinists kind of fall short because they never take the time to get into the techie <laughs> gearhead side of it all and i i just delved right in you know so I, you had the full full set of pedals below you, every, you know, the, the whole everything effects. loop stations reverbs impulse responses distortion wah pedal oh my god it it just so many delays like you know okay it it so it, you really it, did play it like an electric 
like the, like an electric guitar then absolutely really, yeah and i okay. and it was it was great because it it really kind of opened up the world of violins and fiddle playing for me you know um mm-hmm. and so the thing that's great is that being a being a part of a band that we toured so heavily like you know you just kind of you're in the scene people start knowing who you are and you meet a lot of different bands and artists and booking agents and so i quickly became kind of a go-to string player for hire um okay and moved moved to seattle in 2005 and when i first kind of moved to the area i just got a shit ton of business cards and went to all the studios all around town and was just like okay london bridge and joe reineke at orbit and this and that and like everywhere that i could that had stuff I would just leave a business card, put it up on their bulletin board and be like violinist for hire, you know, violinist, violist player for hire. And, um, I quickly kind of put, put together kind of a foothold of being a go-to, uh, string player for hire. And by virtue of, you know, studio magic nowadays, um, I could, because I can also, I also play viola and a little cello, um, I was brought into the studio and I most of the time, you know, budgets are what they are with studios and independent bands. I would just come mm-hmm. in and just multi-track myself. And because I had this oh. really extensive classical training and upbringing, I knew how to arrange, uh, do all the, you know, put together kind of like a one man symphony thing. Wow. So, so, so you're able to leverage their budget yeah. And not having to bring in a bunch of different players. You absolutely, you, you play, you wore all the hats. Yeah, exactly. So I, nice. so I, I very quickly kind of had this weird little niche scene in business. Um, when I first moved to the city and, you know, like, and the, I had the notoriety and credibility from having a, being a part of a, a somewhat successful rock band, you know? So, right. but you know, I, I quickly expanded to a ton of different artists and, you know, we, we first started this conversation talking about Macklemore and by just happenstance, you know, I, a friend of mine and I got together and we were making hip hop mixtapes for fun. And he, uh, I was playing a bunch of Rhodes keyboard stuff and playing a bunch of violin lines and everything else. And he made the beats and we, I little, I did, I didn't know this, but his friend, well, he was the ex-drug dealer for Ben Haggerty. Okay. Who is Macklemore. And at, right. in 2008, Ben was getting out of rehab. He had early success and when MySpace was a thing with his first record in like 2004. And then... MySpace. Yeah. Sorry, I got it. Yeah, I get but it. he... But it was a thing. Yeah. But then he... But then he fell off and got very much into drugs, alcohol percocets like it was really really bad and he um went to rehab and just the stars aligned he had just gotten out of rehab my friend gave him our mixtape and he heard it and was just like well i don't i don't know about the beats and stuff but jesus the violin's really good can i get the guy's number and i've been i've been working with ben ever since so i've been a co-writer on every single record prior to the heist and after the heist um, and then, you know, and that having that kind of, uh, credibility on my, my CV really obviously helped, you know, um, 
but right. I, you know, but that, that was just, I, I feel like, you know, it, with music, when you have so many irons in the fire, it's just kind of crazy when like little things just kind of pop off wherever, you know? And when I first joined him that there was no, you know, he was making music in his, you know, his parents' basement. And it's like, right. okay, I have no idea what this is. This is pretty podunk. So <laughs> no, no one, no one would have foreseen uh, a 2012 meteoric rise to <laughs> global acclaim with the heist. You know, so let me let me ask you this question about him as a as an artist. Yeah, I get, and I've never met him, but I get the impression from things I've listened and heard. He's a really hard worker. Yes, absolutely. His work ethic, his work ethic is significant. His work that was one thing that you know, I mean, a testament to both Ryan, like Ryan and Ben, don't work together anymore, but. It was funny because Ryan originally was Macklemore's uh, photographer. Right. And, right. <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, the, the original guy that spun the beats for Ben was this guy named Omega Watts. So, okay. like, some of the first shows that I played with Ben was before Ryan was even in the picture. So, um, but yeah, Ben's work ethic. Um, just really, really, I think his work ethic, but is also his attention to um, integrity and authenticity is really important. Okay. Um, you know, uh, because I think for him and just so much of what he does as a white rapper, it, you know, unfortunately, fortunately, unfortunately, he has to. That's something that just comes with the territory. Mm-hmm. So, but no, absolutely. The, the, the work ethic is just astounding. You know, I, I mean, we used to have a, a little recording studio on Aurora that was kind of put together, you know, just slowly buying all the peripherals, getting all the gear, making the ISO booth. Like we, you know, it, it was, it was a very, you know, boots on the ground grassroots operation for many years. So so I'm going to ask you a question about the the heist because mm-hmm. anybody listening to this has heard of the heist. Yeah, yeah. And as you know, you you were on that tour, and my old roommate, college roommate, is is Wands. So I've talked to Wands about this at length. <laughs> I'm going to ask you a couple of questions based on my conversation with Wands. Sure. <laughs> okay. When thrift shop dropped. Did you expect it to be what it was? No, we didn't. Okay. No one did. I, um, the first taste of things to come was when we released, um, same love. So Mm -hmm. it was released as a part of a political, move in the state of Washington through sub pop. We released a little, um, I think it was prop. I'm trying to remember the, the, the legislative stuff that was being pushed forward in the state of Washington, but it was for gay marriage and the right. same love was being released to kind of help that message for voters. And there was such an astounding reaction. And this is before the heist re- was released in tr- September of 2012. So, um, there, 
that you just kind of there was something percolating and you we didn't quite know what you know okay but it was one of those like oh people really like what we're putting out you know and like we you know uh had like a really good reaction to another song from the heist that was released well in advance was uh wings Mm-hmm. And that was a song that I had very heavy writing on. Like I, I wrote a bunch of stuff on that and did the, the, okay. all the string arrangements. And, you know, um, it was, that was a song that, you know, it, it started having a really, really powerful resonance with the fan base. So there was just certain things you could just kind of see percolating, but I think the, when thrift shop and the video dropped, I think that was something where um, we were all taken very surprised by. And I think the thing too, is we, it was a joke track to start. It was right. just like, right. eh, okay. You know, it's like, it's, it's kitschy. It's funny. Like, cool. Right. <laughs> right. We, we didn't think it was going to be like <laughs> the thing. <laughs> so what I told you before was that, um, my wife and I had a, a, a wedding reception and, and Mike uh, put together a band for us. Mm-hmm. And that, and cause my daughter was upset that we had gotten married while she was in Europe <laughs> yeah. and my daughter really, um, she really liked Macklemore before the heist. She was like, there's this guy up in Seattle, dad, you got to listen to him. And I'm like, mm-hmm, okay, cool. Not <laughs> really my wheelhouse of music. I mean, but I, okay, cool. There's some neat stuff. I, the um, Dave Niehaus song was pretty cool. The my, oh my. You know, whatever the official yeah. title was, yep, was you know, cause I'm a, I'm a Mariners fan. So that was cool. Anyway. So Mike comes to the reception and he brings Mackenzie, my daughter, um, an autograph Macklemore CD of whatever the one was before the heist. I can't remember. Anyway, and she was um, just blown away. It was redux. It was, a uh, yeah. Yeah. I think that was it. So anyway, this is August of 2012 versus, versus redux. That yeah. Versus. Yeah. So this is August of 2012. You guys had obviously recorded everything, you know, the, the pumps have been primed, but nobody had a clue. You know, Mike's Mike, Mike, Mike and friends play our wedding reception. And then next thing I know, he's like, Hey, I'm going to, the song dropped. It's the tickers, you know, kind of like nonstop how many views are it's getting. And he's like, Oh my gosh, what's happening. And then there's gonna be this little Northwest tour and they're going to play like, Seattle, Spokane, Portland, Eugene. He and Macklemore asked him to go on that. It was he could take some time off of work, right? You're and then there, when you're, we were in Spokane, the the tour blew up to two world tours. <laughs> yeah, and he, he, you know, I remember him going, you know, what do I do? You know, what do I do? So my question to you is, from your point of view, enough about Mike now. From your point of view, how did you? I mean, you weren't prepared for this. Did you? How did you put your life on hold to go? Well, catch the tiger by the tail. Yeah. So right around that time. Uh, yeah, let me, uh, I'll, I'll do a little backtrack and then interweave. Sure. So, um, I, for, you know, working with Macklemore, I, I, I started really developing a huge kind of following, um, behind the scenes in the Northwest as uh, a pop arranger and composer. Um, so did like I worked with a lot of different artists and did stuff with like Doug Marsh from Built to Spill and um, started working with Judy Collins, you know, because she was yeah, I was going to ask you about that later. You know, <laughs> she was from the Northwest, but, you know, I yeah. formed my own string quartet um, just because right. 
just me myself i i couldn't I, you know string instruments are monophonic so unfortunately like i need additional people to play all the voices in my head so um it became this kind of go-to backing group for lots of different artists so um but the thing that was nuts is you know handful kind of dissolved you know i left and um it it was one of those things where you know we would be touring 200 days out of the year and not making enough money to live on so i at that point i was like god i need to i need to learn how to actually make a career a, a sustainable career so started studying um and doing kind of postgraduate um courses with berkeley in boston uh, did everything online because i was on the road so um but it was i i learned everything i could on music publishing licensing the legal aspects of the industry you know um and with that i was able to land a job like around 2010 at a record label. So for a number of years, uh, I got the behind behind the scenes um, as an A&R manager for a label and doing all their licensing, publishing and stuff. And um, around that time, you know, I, this is when the Macklemore train was starting to take off. You know, we would do a tour in Colorado and this is, this is before the heist dropped. And, um, right. but the passenger string quartet, which was, which is my group that, um, I do a lot of work with, we were backing lots of different artists and I was doing arrangements and, you know, it's, it's just funny because September of 2012 was such a, uh, literally this confluence of different career trajectories, you know, my work as an arranger, um, you know, I, I, I also joined up as an or- on staff orchestrator for Seattle rock orchestra during that time. So all this stuff was all kind of aligning and started working very, a lot with Alan stone and his, his star was kind of taking off at this point. Um, so, you know, I, I released a record with this, another Seattle artist named Chris Orlowski. And it was like our first, like, you know, it was Chris Orlowski and Andrew Jocelyn. And I did these big orchestral arrangements and everything else. And it was a, a record that uh, for, for my work and just kind of like my career was really powerful. Cause then people are like, Oh, Oh, Oh man, we gotta, we gotta go to this guy. So um, what happened was right around that time, you know, tying stuff back in with the heist, you know, we, I, my work at the label, I I was just getting so much work as an arranger and a co-writer on stuff um, that I it just it was so hard to kind of keep up with kind of having a day job. And I was just like, man, I got to I need to see this through. I need to see if I can actually make a real go at being, um, you know, uh, a full time musician. So it was, you know, maybe you know, August of 2012, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to step down from my job at the label. Um, and it was one of the scariest decisions of my life. Cause I was like, I, <laughs> music is not a consistent paycheck, you know? Um, so I was freaked out and, you know, the heist dropped and it was 
you know, one of those things where it's like, oh, okay, this is, this is amazing. You know, this is, this, this is going well. I'll have some touring, but like not much else. And like around that time, you know, Wands and I, um, as we kind of mentioned off can or off microphone, him and I knew each other from my handful days. So That's right. he actually, funnily enough, he Wands actually sat in on bass for a handful gig when we were playing at a, uh, I think Highway ninety nine or something like he because our ba- wow. our bass player like you know there was like one of the very few situations where. <laughs> our bass player was sick or he was dealing with a family emergency. So Wands played bass in my, uh, my first band. That's so oh just, such okay. a small world. So it is a small world. Isn't and, it? But that, that's the thing is like Wands and I just like very much were like two peas in a pod on the road because we knew each other and it, you know, it's, it's such a weird ragtag band that was kind of thrown together of these misfit toys, you know, like the, the Macklemore team, like I, I, I wouldn't trade it in for the world because we were just such a, we're so fresh and bushy tailed and, you know, bright eyed. And we were just like, well, let's just do this. This sounds like fun. Let's try it. You didn't know better. We did not know better. We did not know what is about to happen. The nuclear bomb that was about to completely level us. We had no idea. So, so around this time, I'm, you know, I'm fresh and just like, well, you know, like I, I don't really have a job, so let's just go along with this. Um, you know, the, we, I think we, you know, we, we played Spokane. The real moment though, we, we were playing Missoula and Ellie Reed flew out to offer a a record deal to Ben and Ryan. And he walks up with his entourage in tow to talk with Ben, Ryan and Zach, uh, their manager. And this was in the green room. And like the rest of the band were all like, wait, what the fuck? What the hell is going on? You know, I mean, wands are pacing. We're like, this is weird. Like, and of course, you know, it kind of like in true uh, Hamilton fashion, we all wanted to be in the room where it happened and hear the conversation. But um, that, that was the, the time when, you know, they management and Ben and Ryan were like, no, we're going independent. We're not going to sign with a label. So that, and watching watching that major music executive and his team walk out um pretty dejectedly was when we were like holy fuck this is something big's about to happen sorry i don't know if i can you're You're good you're Um, good but it was one of those like wow this is this is something and then pretty much like you know we we kind of um I, I believe we kind of wrapped up that tour it was su- super short. And then we were back right. home and I got a call from Zach and it was like, Hey, we're going on a world tour. We're about to leave for Europe um, for three months. And then we're going to have a full U S tour. You need to put together a string section. Now hire out a crew, 
let we got to make this happen and then we're going to be playing you know wamu theater we got this happening you need to get stuff going like we need a section you need to start hiring some horn players and get some charts like what are, what are you doing and i was like i i am a free agent let's let's see where this goes yeah so, wow yeah and it, it was it was one of those just like i was so terrified but also just so like uh, let's see what happens like i for the longest time you know prior to that since moving to seattle actually i i kind of always had this yes to everything mentality uh-huh. where i was just like yeah sure i'll do it yeah sure i'll do that you know um which really helped guide me for many many years with my career in music where i just always wanted to be available as best i could you know and i think that kind of really helped position me where i am you know okay so uh, so i'm gonna ask you i want to ask you a couple of questions about the tour the, yeah. the so stock questions i always ask <laughs> and so we'll uh, but i'm going to give you a little bit more of a scope so from the heist tour only okay mm-hmm. <clears throat> where was your favorite venue that you played Uh, what was the name of that? There was a spot in Paris and I'm trying to remember the name of the venue. Um, okay. It was just a part, you know, it, there was this beautiful park in the middle of Paris. Um, just like, okay. you know, kind of like a, a, a city center, um, like the mm-hmm. Seattle center. Um, but just like the venue, I think we just continually got upgraded and upgraded and upgraded on venues the more the tour rolled around. So originally we're playing the Brixton, then we're playing the O2. Then like, you know, it was, (coughs) it was just really funny because it's like, I think by the time Paris rolled around, we're like, oh, wow. Ooh, this is, this place is great. Um, But like, you know, it's, it's kind of funny because like the more I think about it, the, so much of those tours, like, because I, I toured heavily with them from, you know, 2008 to 2017. Mm-hmm. All those, wow. all those dates and times and venues kind of all blur together. And, I, you know, there's certain ones that I remember really heavily, like, you know, um, Abu Dhabi was in absolutely insane. Um, okay. Because we flew out to the middle of you know (laughs) arab emirates and like we're uh we're in the middle of you know mars it feels like a completely (laughs) different planet and you know guys are holding hands in full garb and you know you it it i it just felt like such a different dimension and we we played this show and I could just remember, I, I remember all the details. Like it was huge, uh, tented top. Like it was really hot, swelteringly. You know, there there was the right next door was like the Ferrari like race course. Um, but we played <laughs> "Same Love" uh-huh. and Mary Lambert singing, and the entire and it was one of those moments where like that song is so and. 
such an antithesis to the the the, the culture uh, of that right. world, and they full blown freaked out. They were just so excited and happy and like yeah no no we didn't cause a riot or anything um it was well you had this nice pause i'm like which way is this gonna go (laughs) it's it was just one of those moments where i was just like this is magic i i that was one of those moments where i was like i do truly believe that there's some deeper uh purpose for music you know all right so the flip side to that is the worst show for you is well okay in general what's the give us an example i love asking bad questions like that like what's a bad experience because you learned something from it so yeah. through your career share a show that was just for lack of a better word a shit show uh well i got two one that's utterly okay. amazing and one that's just poor planning um Okay. A handful. We booked a show in Wairika, California, and we're just like, fuck it. Let's just go to like drive uh-huh. down there. We didn't know anything about marketing, press, uh, getting oh. the word out. Like no one okay. had any idea who the hell we were like at that point because it was one of our first tours. So we drove down in a Astro van, like just <laughs> all the way down the I-5 corridor for hours on end, paying so much money for gas. And we we show up and the bartender doesn't even know who we are. And he's like, wait, you're Uh-oh. playing tonight? <laughs> like, who? Uh-oh. Wait, who are you? The sound guy was really late. Um, and I mean, we literally played for the like the janitor and his dog because I think it was like an off night. Um, oh, but no. they just they were they felt so bad for us. They're like, well, you could just set up and play. But like it was <laughs> like, no, no one was there. Um, and I think we 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 found some people after the show. That were just walking on the street and they let us like stay at their, they crashed at their place. But like, it was oh like gosh. cat urine smelling floors. Perfect. Like, and it's, it was just like, no, I'm going to sleep in the van. Like, no, screw this. Like, <laughs> I'm not going to sleep. I'm, I'm just, I, 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 like at that point, I was like, I will pull an all nighter and just drive home. Like, this is stupid. Like, so that was one of the worst yeah. shows ever. Okay. Um, but that's- I got, here's another one that's, that's crazy. Um, Macklemore and Ryan Lewis, one of our first major tours, we're in Dublin. We are playing a huge, huge festival in Ireland. 35,000 people were out. And right. we were headlining. Ellie Goulding had just played, played an amazing set. And the Irish were freaking out they were just so over the top and with the heist and everything one of the most popular tunes from the record was irish celebration mm-hmm. which original was from uh redux or one of the first mm-hmm. verses record so right. those those verses records the original concept was to take a bunch of uh samples that we couldn't use so like we had like an Anthony and the Johnsons sample. The Irish celebration is a Beirut sample. So okay. just reflipped it and then made it into this big giant Irish celebration song. So 
every 35,000 Irishmen and women are just ready to go off. And <laughs> Ryan's computer dies. First song in. We're playing, we're about to play 10,000 Hours as the opening song. And this is before we had an Ableton rig and all these triggers and all this other stuff and additional sound guys. He was running the entire show off of his laptop and it just blue screens. And you see the giant blue screen up on the LCD, like in front of 35,000 people. And we're a live band. You know, we have a whole horn section, full strings, dancers, and but the whole show, all the you know, the pyro, everything else is triggered from Ryan Lewis's computer. Right. And he's like, Oh, we're about to drop and and we we're just standing there because we're all like the band's like oh my God, are we going to have to play like an acoustic set? Like, how are we going to, what are we going to do? Yeah. So we had the run. I think, I think what happened was, you know, Zach and somebody else, like someone had to get an iPod and run the show from instrumentals on an iPod. No, no big LCD screen stuff. No, like, big pyro nothing just straight show and audio from like i i yeah i swear to god i think we just ran like we just kind of karaoke the set oh my god and it was ter- oh it was god. terrifying and i mean it was one of those shows we were all so crestfallen afterwards we we're just like that was supposed to be like a career making show and we completely right. shit the bed you know so oh, but after that we had like three computers of backup tons of, tons <laughs> yeah, of, like but i think it, it, uh, that i think that's that's important like you everyone's got you know stuff that happens you know but it's like right. oh god that, it was just so hard i think we all everyone was like i'm done i'm done with music I'm done. i just want to go and you know i think I I had, and it's funny because this just reminded me of another show I played. I was playing, I was touring with uh, Judy Collins with my string quartet and we were doing a West coast tour and we, we were playing down at, I think in Napa um, for a music festival. And there was, you know, and her audience is definitely a a much older demographic. So um, we, it was us, um, her she had a music director who would play piano and just kind of help sing backups for uh judy and so she comes out we we start the set judy had this terrible terrible cough from tour and it was just getting worse and then she she comes out on stage we kind of struggle for the through the first song she has to leave and go off stage and the string quartet and Russell, her music director, were all just sitting there kind of somewhat uncomfortably kind of just, okay, what do we do? And the audience is definitely getting restless because they've been waiting and they're waiting still. And we just find out that she, Judy can't do the show. She had like puked backstage. Oh. She had, she'd caught something. Something was definitely wrong. So we just, right. the quartet sitting there 
and we just have sheet music for her set and the audience is like getting honorary and just being like play us something <laughs> play us like music play us like you know whatever i guess judy's not coming right. so play us a show and we're like well you we just have the sheet music for her set so it's <laughs> oh like gosh. that's the most honorary i've ever seen napa valley like wine enthusiasts get <laughs> <laughs> it was like all right we gotta leave fast because they're gonna start breaking glass and killing us so yeah oh my gosh anyway. <laughs> so you you have you have worked with a lot of a lot of people yep. and i and one person so i had um uh, a guy on as a guest earlier and he was talking about his solo album that is being released and i did not know you were part of it until maybe five minutes before you popped onto the screen, <laughs> but you, you did s- some strings with Jesse Butterworth. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, J- Jesse. Um, yeah. God, I love Jesse. Oh my God. We, uh, we connected through his producer, Aaron Sternkey, um, right before the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. I was working with Jesse's band, West coast feed, um, and just supplied, um, uh, the last great summer I supplied a whole string orchestra for that song. Um, okay. just absolutely loved working with them. And Jesse was so taken with the arrangements and he was like, Hey, um, do you want to, I'm doing my own record. Do you want to write string arrangements for that? And like, let's just take it to the next level. And I was like, sure, let's do it. And because you say yes that's your thing yeah you say yeah absolutely well and he you know his his thing is he was gonna be going to uh abbey road abbey road and record a string quartet there um and i was planning to go with them to london and but this is you know right around when things were getting hairy in 2020 and Mm -hmm. my wife and i were just like i should stay here things are looking really weird like, I don't want to, I don't want to risk it. So I <laughs> had to like zoom in and help conduct, you know, two musicians in Abbey Road for st- my string arrangements. But like, yeah, I am, I am so proud of the work I did on that record. Like those strings are just mm, some of my favorite arrangements and work. So, yeah. So how was it to, have you ever, have you ever recorded at Abbey Road? I haven't, I've been there a couple of times, but I haven't, um, recorded there personally, but I've, so you know, I've heard I, the room and, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, so when I was talking to Jesse, you know, he was, um, great guest. Oh, he was so much fun to talk yeah. to. Um, and he was, you know, he was really enamored with the idea that he got to record at Abbey Road. Yes. And, uh. And and he had told me that it had kind of become almost like a karaoke place for wealthy wealthy guests to come and say they sang at Abbey Road by doing karaoke. <laughs> and so that it had opened back up and he yeah. really was thrilled that he got to play at Abbey Road. So my question to you is, you got close, you were conducting strings at Abbey Road, but you were conducting them from Washington state. <laughs> do you, do you ever, is there a place you want to record at personally? Is there a, is there a studio? Is there some magical place that you would love to Abbey Road record would, at? Abbey Road would be one, but I, um, 
so this last year, right before COVID, um, I, I get Jesus two years now. Um, I had yeah. the on, so long story short, I mean, I'm going to just gloss over a ton of stuff. You know, I, I, I over the years I've become, uh, I've done tons of film scoring work and just kind of got very much into, uh, very major kind of pop, uh, orchestration and conducting and work. So, and worked with like Michael Bolton and Kesha and a bunch of other artists. And, um, I got signed with BMG in LA. So I now in 2019, I worked with Leslie Odom jr from Hamilton. And we, I, I did that. I actually was just doing co-writing. So just writing lyrics and kind of melodic stuff. And we did all the writing at uh Skywalker ranch in San Rafael. Oh. And oh. that, so we, we, you know, we recorded all these demos and stuff for the, for what became his original record that Mr. And that's one of those places where, you know, there's George Lucas has a specific room for that, like a theater there to watch, you know, everything in Atmos and Dolby surround sound. And Oh my God, it's just the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. And the, the room for recording is massive. And, you know, I, I got to record and play violin in there and have recorded and stuff like the actual, I think the song hummingbird, um, off the Mr. Record, you, you'll hear a little solo violin at the very end of the song. And that's me playing in, uh, Skywalker. But that's one of those places where I would absolutely kill to have like a full symphony, be able to hear a full symphony in that room because it's so beautifully outfitted acoustically. And just, you know, I, man, having a string quartet there or just like a string symphony, I would just, (laughs) I would just love it. (laughs) You'd love it. Yeah. Well, symphony, we'll we'll shift to Seattle symphony. Yeah. You've got something coming up here. I do. But before we talk before we talk about that specific <laughs> show, is this an ongoing thing for you collaborating with the Seattle Symphony or is this a one-off for you? No, I one of the weird silver linings of COVID is a <laughs> lot of different organizations had to pivot pretty dramatically, you know, and mm-hmm. at the beginning of 2020, um a friend of mine at the Symphony um reached out and was like, Hey, we need to change how we operate. We need some new programming. We need to figure it out fast. So, um, I kind of worked with them and we, we put together kind of this concept for a show series called the essential series, which, um, because I've worked with so many artists now kind of all over the country. And, um, I wanted to bring, artists to the symphony in a showcase format so um that <clears throat> we i brought whitney manger who's uh, a local kind of um bootstraps diy indie songwriter i just i i love her aesthetic and her music so she was one of the first artists to showcase and then we had ivan and alyosha um we were going to have Greaves, who a hip hop artist, but because of scheduling conflicts and stuff, we were unable to have him. Um, but the new show coming up on July 9th 
is Nancy Wilson from Heart. So she, um, I was working with her and her team on her record. And then I just kind of pitched it to her and I was like, well, why don't, um, why don't you do a show like your, one of your first shows for your debut record with the Seattle symphony? Like that's a pretty big, you know, statement. Mm -hmm. And she agreed and you know, the rest is history. And we're, you know, so like, um, what I do is, so I'm the curator and kind of director of this program. And then I do all the writing. So I write all okay. the symphonic arrangements, everything that the symphony does behind the scenes with the artists and help kind of curate the set, um, work with it. Like I'm kind of the, the, the symphony calls me their band whisperer. <laughs> and then the bands yeah, are like, I'm the, the, you know, the symphonic liaison, you know, and curator. So it's, <laughs> it's kind of fun because it's, you know, I, you, you can now kind of see just given my background, I've kind of been able to position myself as this kind of weird little go betweener between like my, my past and, you know, regimented routines with classical music, but I got to marry it with the pop and rock and all the stuff that I was so enamored with as a child. So it's kind of fun to be to find, finally find the spot where I kind of fit. <laughs> so let me ask you this question coming back to the beginning of the, of our show here today, you came from a classical fa uh, family. Mm -hmm. How has your family embraced what you're doing that you're standing in both worlds? Are they, do they enjoy this for you or they, do they see it or? Yeah, I think they're, I think my family is very happy to see me working. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, no, it's true though. Most I, families I, are happy to see their kids working. I yeah, but that, but that's no. the thing is it's like my, my parents were very, um, like my dad, especially was just like, look, you know, I, we just wanted to give you a good education. And right. if, if I chose ultimately not to pursue classical music, at least I couldn't come back and tell them that I wasn't given the opportunity or that I wasn't given this education that I needed to flourish. And so I, I really appreciate that because for them, I think they were just always happy that I think, you know, I, when I really think on it, because I struggled with classical music. There was a lot of times I was, you know, um, a lot of the mentality of the classical world was really hard for me when I was younger, you know, the competitive streak, the, you know, the perfectionism. Um, so I think okay. for my parents seeing me happy making music and actually having success at it, I think they, they couldn't have, they can't be more happy. <laughs> so, um, but it is funny. There is times where I'll, I'll show, uh, pop tunes I've done arrangements for, or, you know, sim uh, symphonic things and, um, you know, film scores to my dad. And he's like, he's, he's still very much of the classical world where he's like, Oh, I just wish you would modulate more or, you know, I can't, <laughs> could, could you have done more counterpoint here? Or how, oh, why, why haven't, why didn't you do a Neapolitan turnaround? Blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, oh, dad, it's, <laughs> So <laughs> there's still, there's okay. still, I think, room for improvement, <laughs> but like, it's as far as I'm concerned, I'm, I'm, I'm happy where things are at. All right. 
I got one last question I want to ask you, then I want to bring up one other thing. Sure. So question, and I'll put you on the spot for it. Who would you like to work with that you haven't worked with? Is there somebody that you would like to work with? I mean, I always have an ongoing wish list, but I think I, the, there's, there's, there's two, well, there's a couple, but there, there's one artist that I've been listening to a little bit more lately that uh, I've been getting really enamored with her sound. And I, I, I think I would really like to do some big symphonic work for Billie Eilish that, you know, oh, if okay. I could, like, uh, I think some, you know, the, the depth of emotional um, delivery that she has um, with such minimal packaging um, is mm-hmm. actually, it's kind of thrilling, you know? So for me, like I hear, I'm, I'm always the guy, if I hear some music, I'm, I I'll, I'll be listening and being like, Oh, I can hear strings and this and horns and all this other stuff. So, um, but like, I, 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 w- I would love to try and color out, you know, a full symphonic arrangement for some of her tunes. Like, I think that would be really fun. So, um, that's one artist. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm on your, I'm on your blog at the moment and this is dated from 2020. So it's almost a year old. Okay. <laughs> And the headline says Andrew Jocelyn appointed to Grammy national board of trustees. Mm, yeah. What does that mean? Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, so, uh, the recording Academy, the Grammys, as we all know, for the award ceremony and everything, um, they are, you know, a membership organization, obviously blah, blah, blah. And I, I joined them when I was working at the record label, just because I wanted to help vote in (laughs) our artists that we were working with. Um, But I, I quickly found out that the recording Academy is, they do a ton of work behind the scenes with artist advocacy and helping musicians have better, more sustainable life. Um, They, you know, they have music cares and, um, this work that they do with education and it, it, the, the list goes on and on and on and on. But I, it was one of the first times I felt like I found a place where I felt home. Okay. Um, because I mean, doing the work that I do, it, it doesn't fit into the realm of not, not necessarily into the realm of the union. It, there's not like, you know, th- there's always so much competition and weird, in the industry um with <laughs> with egos and the the creative um edge and you know uh the the recording academy was one of these places where i was like a lot of like-minded musicians that just want to make the industry a better place and i i got into leadership and advocacy uh through them so um did you know, ran as a governor to be on the, the Pacific Northwest board. Um, and, you know, eventually got elected in and I I've been with the organization, I think for seven plus years now. And, um, just the, the national trustee thing is a, a really big position. It's like essentially being a Senator, like a state Senator, um, okay. for, uh, for the state of Washington. So I, I am one of two uh, trustees for our entire region and the Pacific Northwest region for the recording Academy is actually 
a lot of states. You know, we represent Alaska, mm-hmm. Hawaii, Montana, Idaho, Oregon, Washington State. Um, we and and also uh, a little bit of Vancouver, BC, or, or uh, oh. British Columbia. So British Columbia. Um, okay. So which which is insane. So um, I. As a, as a national trustee, I'm always looking at trying to help with programming, um, you know, with everything that's happening in the culture today, um, trying to really help get more women involved in engineering and uh, just just making the music industry a better place for everyone that chooses to be a part of this, you know, calling. <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I, you know, I, I've also, uh, been recently, um, nominated to be a part of the Seattle music commission, um, which is the, this, the, the, the local level of, uh, uh, advocacy and kind of artist organizing. So, you know, working with the city of Seattle and the mayor's office on kind of, uh, local legislation and policy that kind of help. I guess, I mean, like right now, COVID was so devastating to our industry. Um, we, we had lost out on, you know, it took, it took many, many, many months for a lot of working class musicians to get unemployment. Um, it was, mm-hmm. you know, rent, <laughs> rent, everything else has been out of control. And, you know, quite honestly, most uh, performing musicians just didn't have, they didn't have uh, incoming income. They just, there just wasn't because of, you know, live performance was the first to be kicked out and it's the last to kind of be introduced back into the economy. So, um, long story short, I, I think with my, my own kind of career trajectory, you know, as a kid, like I always wanted to have a sustainable working class career and Mm -hmm. I had to go through a lot of pitfalls to get where I am. And I think for me, I want to make it easier for musicians that if they choose to want to be full time, that the, the, the whole infrastructure should be there for them. And it should be a little bit easier and less harrowing <laughs> of an experience. Okay. So that's why, uh, that's why I do what I do. So that's why you do what yeah. you do. That's great. What questions should I have asked you that I didn't? Uh, oh, <laughs> yeah. I mean, cause we, we need to wrap this up. You've got to go and be a musician and you know, I, I want to respect your time. And, um, but I feel like, you know, did I miss something? I mean, we could talk for a lot, much longer, oh, yeah. you know, uh, but I mean, but what that, that's the thing is like, I do, I do so much work in the industry. Like I, I, I wear many, many hats. I mean, we didn't talk about film scoring or any of the work that I do in production music, <laughs> which is totally fine. We don't need the, we don't yeah, need to be exhaustive with this interview by any means, but you know, um, I, I, I think we covered a good we swath. Covered- <laughs> okay. All right. Are you a coffee drinker? I am. Where do you, where do you recommend somebody go for coffee in your part of the state? Um, well, where do you go for COVID, coffee around, around home? I mean, with, with okay. COVID it's been my wife yeah. and our, you know, Seiko amazing espresso machine. And we've been using, right. um, Lavazza as our beans. Oh, okay. Very, very, okay. very good for espresso. Yes. And we, we do, you yes. know, 
she does it right. She's really good at it. Um, <clears throat> though, um, Burian Press. Burian Press was one of my never heard of there, them. Just down in Burian, just north of Normandy Park, we used to live down there. Uh-huh. Um, Burian Press was one of the best coffee spots. Period that we'd ever been to. Um, all all right. their in-house syrups and mixes and the vibe we uh, that was like my go-to place for about two years um and okay. then um zeitgeist in pioneer mm-hmm. square um because i used to have a recording studio down in that area i'd go to i'd go there every day and get the chicken pesto sandwich and a you know a, a tall <laughs> hemp milk latte you know vanilla latte right. like it was Re- uh, really really good i think there's really good. there's a couple others too what is it elm street roasts or there's another spot in pioneer square as well um that was really good okay. for coffee but um i my wife and i recent well in september of 2020 we moved to bainbridge island um to be mm-hmm. closer to my parents to help them out and you know because mm-hmm. they're the 2020 aged them more. <laughs> I'm really only 29. <laughs> yeah, look at that. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, COVID really does stuff. Um, COVID did something to me. It, but so we, the I think on the island, you know, Pegasus and uh, Storyville, whenever they, they open up again. So, but my top, our top is uh, Berean Press. Like, even when we come back to All Seattle, right. we'll go out of our way to drive down to Berean Press. Okay. To- there's an endorsement that you'll go out of your yeah, way. Yeah. All right. All right. So my last question is from, from a performance standpoint for you, where's two, two part question. Now I'm going to narrow it down to Washington state. <clears throat> Best place you ever played as a musician in Washington state. Venue, the venue that you, is there a venue that you're like, wow, this is a great place to play as a musician. Mm-hmm. And the flip side to that is best venue to see music performed at. In Washington. Um, let me think on that. I, cause so many of the, so much of the, the venues right now that are coming straight to my mind are all Seattle based. So I'm trying to be a little bit more, well, it's it's okay. You it can be Seattle based because Seattle. Let's totally, be honest. Totally. Seattle has a well, lot. Like of I, I'm probably gonna have a lot of honorable mentions. So uh. okay, that's that's completely <laughs> fine. It because it, yes, I'll explain my reasoning after oh, you, totally. you share. Well, your I mean, it's funny because one of the first spots that kind of came to mind was uh, for C, uh, the seasons in Yakima. Um, that's okay. a that's a really beautiful room. Um, mm-hmm. Stage isn't terribly big. But it's it's one of the it's super it's a really great vibe. Um, mm-hmm. I I put, so I put out my own record in 2017, and I did the it did it through this organization called Secret Shows, and mm-hmm. I actually played a spot that isn't a traditional venue. But strangely enough, the the whole setup, this acoustics and everything were just really good. It was actually the Filson 
down in Soto. Really? Really? Yeah. I Okay. Yeah, it was wow. the, the Filson showroom, like the where you're just buying yeah. your caps and you know the yeah. dungarees and so it's like I, I you know I that was a spot that that's a that's an honorable mention surprise that uh, okay that's yeah nobody's name no that no, yet. no 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 <laughs> um but let me let me think on so best place to see music I mean because I'm a classical cat I'm gonna say Benaroya I it okay. the room. I because of COVID too, I've had the opportunity to see these these symphonies that I write um, without anyone else in the room and the symphonies playing, and there's just something just magic about that room. I just okay and because it's all acoustically, it's been treated to to amplify stuff without having to have any amplification whatsoever. Um, there's okay. something about those old rooms you just can't. You can't, you know, um, but I mean, it, yeah. Paramount, I, I, I love that room. You know, there's just something like the more theater in the Paramount, like, you know, I think the more theater when you're on the tier looking down and the, the music's just right. There's, there's something mm-hmm. so moving about that venue. Um, the grungier spots that I, that I also sure. love. Um, I mean, tractor and <laughs> right. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'm like, almost everybody says the like, tractor. It's, just, it's so it's funny. It's just great. Like, and I also like Connor Byrne too for the scene. I don't know that. Um, one. that that's another okay. spot in Ballard, but like, um, okay. Fremont Abbey. Ooh, Fremont Abbey is actually a really good spot for music. Um, okay. when they have like songwriter rounds and stuff, that room, it, it's it's more the community feel of that room that I just, you know, and the, the high arch ceilings acoustically just sounds mm, really, really good. Um, to perform music. I've always loved crocodile okay. and they're, they're closing and then moving, which is mm-hmm. nuts. Cause I, I've played the crocodile before they did the renovation where they had the back bar with the pizza and everything, you know, when they had the giant column in the middle of the floor, which is just, God, that was terrible. So first iteration of crocodile wasn't great. Second iteration was good. This third iteration, I'm really curious how it's going to pan out. So um, jazz alley actually is a nice place to play too. I, I played uh, a couple of times with different artists. I played with a jazz guitarist named Chris Standring there and it was just Mm -hmm. there's something about that stage and the vibe um and i mean you know right there on par with them is triple door i think triple door both to perform and see music is a great venue because just the seating the vibe um they always have really outstanding sound guys there so um yeah i mean (laughs) those are all very heavily seattle based uh alma mater in tacoma is amazing mm-hmm. yeah um yeah it is god i mean the list can go have you played have you seen the spanish ballroom down there at McMinimins? And no yeah. no I need to. i've heard i've heard good things about i haven't seen it yeah. either i've heard i've heard good things about that from a lot of people the thing that cracks me up the tractor is by far both 
I want to play or if I haven't played there, I want to play there or I've loved playing there or seeing, seeing music there. It's so funny because it's, it's not the best room in the the city. No, but there's something about the tractor that's great. I mean, it's, (laughs) I've seen some great shows at the tractor through the years. Yeah. They're fun. It's a fun place. Well, El Corazon was also a really like, yeah, just, you, yeah. you, I love it. You, you go in that room and they're just like, make sure you're wearing shoes on stage. Make sure that you don't touch the microphone with your mouth. Like it's just, there's been so many heavy metal shows and punk shows there that they've just like, right. just bring oh. your own shit. Like <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't, protect, don't use the protect your health. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So if people want to find out more about you and, and listen to what you're doing and yep. see what you're up to, where can they find I, you? Well, you know, uh, full disclosure, I am terrible with social media and, you know, with, with updating stuff, I, my, my website's outdated and everything. So I, I need to be much better about, um, getting that stuff up and running. But if you want to learn more about what I'm up to and everything that you can first go to my website, Andrew Jocelyn music at, uh, com. you know, it's, and Jocelyn is J O S L Y N. Um, but then, you know, you can find me on Instagram. I, I think I update that the most, you know, um, okay. and, and what do you go by on this? What's your, just what's your Andrew Jocelyn music, look, you, know, you know, and then that'll okay. inevitably link you to my Facebook and Twitter. And I'm probably going to get rid of Twitter soon oh. enough. Cause that, <laughs> so, All right. but yeah, no, I'm, you know, I, the, the funny thing for me is so much of the work that I do is not necessarily public facing. Um, cause mm-hmm. I do a lot. I I'm working every week with three to four different artists on their records. So, wow. um, most of the time I'm, I don't need social media to find work. You know, I'm, right. you know, it's like an artist will call me from New York. I'm, I'm working with an Israeli producer right now. Um, there's, you know, so like I'm, I'm just continually, um, just focusing on, you know, supplying strings and horns and stuff for different artists. And I'm currently working with Hallie Gregg, who was on The Voice, um, on her new record. So I'm doing string and horn arrangements for her. So, but like, you know, I'm not terribly good at updating social stuff because I'm just, I, because I'm working. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome, man. I love to hear that. So, well, yeah. thank you for making this happen. Oh my I God, really for sure. It. This was great, man. And we will, uh, I will uh, sign off and let you get to your day <laughs> Perfect. and uh, uh, continued success. Absolutely, man. Well, thank you so much for having me on and, you know, just, uh, yeah. Let me know if you ever need a, a reunion tour. <laughs> Perfect. Join us next time for another episode of the Exploring Washington State podcast.